Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. One of the more problematic trends that has befallen the modern Christian church is that it has become enamored with something I would call spiritual celebritism. This is when a Christian is so enthralled by a celebrity that they feel the need for this celebrity to love Jesus and in doing so, bring about some sort of validation in their personal faith. They will search and scour for any modicum of belief in a higher power and declare the celebrity a blood-bought believer. A quick scroll down Facebook and you are likely to find a sponsored post from a Christian website with articles such as 10 celebrities you didn't know were Christians or look how this celebrity stood up for their faith. Many of these celebrities have not even proclaimed a belief in Christ and most live their public lives completely contrary to scripture. Lord knows what they do when they aren't under the paparazzi's watchful eye. The constant need for Christians to have a celebrity spokesperson has made it abundantly evident that far too many believers place too much weight on the oftentimes erroneous spiritual positions of these celebrity spokespersons. You would think that that was a book review written for Greg Laurie's newest book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the spiritual biography of rock and roll. But really, that was an article on goodfight.org discussing that celebrities are trying to raise your children. But to discuss this book and many of the arguments made in it is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Yeah, that's heavy. I mean, I've found myself a little grieved today off and on, actually with quite a heavy heart when I was looking at this at different times. I thought, wow, how tragic, how sad uh, that so many parents, so many uh, believers, so many uh, pastors and teachers and Sunday school teachers have sought to help uh, the, the people that they are following the Lord, their, their families, their brothers and sisters in Christ, encourage them to, uh, you know, watch out for the powers of darkness and have no fellowship, as the Bible says, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And it breaks my heart because I thought, wow, Greg Laurie has, is, way, is very popular out there. And, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's actually turning these evangelistic type, you know, talents, quote unquote, into basically promoting these guys. And I know, well, hey, you know, I'm trying to, you know, bring people to Jesus through this. It was a two-way street. It, 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 it's a bridge that goes both ways. What's going to happen, uh, as we've discussed this and, and, and talked about a lot of what's written in there, is a lot of people are going to read this, they're going to put their guard down and say, wow, I, I didn't realize these guys were such, they love God. These guys are Christians. When we're going to expose in this expose that so many of these people that he's promoting as though they had some kind of relationship with God and uh, indicating that they're in heaven and so forth, or at least most of them, uh, we're going to see that they've been involved with the powers of darkness and there's no a clear repentance at the end of their lives uh, for the most part that, that we can see. And what's tragic about this, how many people are going to plunge themselves 
into their music saying, oh man, if Greg Laurie, a spiritual leader, a pastor is, is promoting them, man, they must be good. It must be okay to listen to all kinds of secular music. Before you know it, it becomes a bridge away from God. And I'll give you one example, Chad. When I was looking at Alice Cooper, he promotes there, and he also promotes John Lennon and the Beatles. Uh, it was really interesting. Alice Cooper was saying, hey, I grew up as a pastor's son in an interview. I just saw recently as I've been checking this out, and he said, as I was, and, and then I was all in the church, man. I was going to Wednesday nights and Friday nights and Sunday. My whole life re- re- revolved around, you know, Christianity. And then he goes, in high school, the Beatles came out, and I began to mimic them. And then before you knew it, he was Alice Cooper doing depictions, theatrical depictions of people being decapitated on stage, mock hangings with gallows out there, an innocent-looking girl with a big butcher knife as though she's a, a butcher, just the most demonic thing. He was the Marilyn Manson of his day, and he's still doing so many of those songs, and Greg Laurie is promoting him, and it's wicked. Yeah, it's interesting. Before the introduction, it says this, and this kind of sets off the premise of the book. It says, there will be three big surprises when you get to heaven. Some of the people we thought would be there won't be. Some of the people we never thought would be there will be. Because of God's faithful promises, you and I will also be there. So I think this kind of starts us off with a little bit of a mystery, Joe, as to, wait, who on earth is going to get there? And how are they going to get there? And I'd be so surprised if this person and this rock star, because that's the entire premise of the book, the spiritual biography of rock and roll. And so we see that. But then, Joe, we're going to read his words. This is the opening line of the introduction of the book to really tell us why Greg Laurie wrote this book. It's time I admitted it. To quote the great theologian Joan Jett, I love rock and roll. And now, Joe, I, I think before we play some of the clips of why he... make the first point he's having a problem is because he's following women preachers. Joan Jett, <laughs> yeah. or that she's a rock star. Or that she's a rock star, yeah. no, 100%. Yeah, both are not uh, not biblical in any way, shape, or form. But when we look into this and we see this, I know that even when I first opened it, I thought, well, maybe he means I did before I was saved, or I had these inclinations towards that before I was saved. But Joe, we're going to actually get into it, and we'll even talk about some of the things he's wearing when promoting this book to see that that love for rock and roll, that's in the perfect present tense, I would yeah. say. And that's a current love that he has. And I think that's the premise behind the book, really. Yeah, for secular music, right? The scriptures say in, in Ecclesiastes 7, uh, 5, it is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. What's happening is he's glorifying so many of the songs that are so anti-biblical, so anti-God. And in, in, in his book, he talks about how he and others were so into the Beatles, and he's still into them. And he talks about how these were they were the, they were the kids' idols. And I'm saying, yeah, he, you're right. They're idols. Greg, have you shaken those idols yet? Do you realize they're animated by, animated by demonic entities? And we'll get into that. No, I think that's a perfect time to see what he has actually written about this. Because in the book, he writes, I have a large photo of the Beatles in my office. And a young person seeing it recently asked me why I am such a fan. I told him they effectively provided the soundtrack of my life. Every song brings memory of my childhood, both good and bad. There were many other artists and bands I listened to growing up, but no single band impacted me the way those four lads from Liverpool did. I mean, this is a current love that as a pastor in his office, very interesting, these are his words, not mine, in his office, He has a picture of the Beatles, Joe. This is who he is glorifying so that when I come to get counsel from him, 
right? If I was a member of his church and came to get counsel from him, I'm going to come and see, guess what? My pastor loves the Beatles. Then there can't be anything wrong with listening to that music, right? That's the, especially if he's a spiritual leader, you feel like God's leading him. Oh man, the Beatles must be okay with, okay with Greg. They're okay with God then, I guess, you know, because he's like, represents God, doesn't he? And before you know it, you get immersed, yourself immersed in music that is, we're going to see, very demonically inspired. No, it's true. And, you know, you mentioned this already, Joe, speaking of the idols as well. And if you don't think that these musicians are actual idols that people look up to, we don't have American Idol as one of the biggest shows in America <laughs> for no reason. There's a, there is truth to that. And people really do worship at their feet. And that's all I could see Greg Laurie describing over and over again in this book by his own admission that people worshipped these bands. And yet, let's look at Greg Laurie doing a little tour in his office talking about some of the figurines he has of the Beatles. Steve McQueen, the Steve McQueen Bullet Mustang, Ronald Reagan, the Beatles, collectible little Beatles from over the years. And then finally, my old bicycle, a replica of the bike I used to ride. I collect strange things. Yeah, those are some strange things. And if you notice above that bicycle of him collecting strange things, you'll see a ticket to a Beatles concert as well that he has. And Joe, I, I can't help but I can't miss it. He's also wearing a pink Floyd shirt while promoting this book. Guys, this isn't a situation, Joe. And I have to ask you this, and I, I find it almost comical because as someone who came to the Lord after watching the video, They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, I feel almost like a goofball asking the question. But to start, he's showing all of this and all these collectibles, and this is why the book is written and all this. He wants to bring the gospel. But can we even bring the gospel, or can we bring the gospel while showcasing maybe the history of rock and roll, is there a way to do it that's actually biblical, unlike I believe this book is? You know, it's interesting uh, when you, just the fact that you mentioned the Pink Floyd shirt. I mean, Pink Floyd was way into mysticism, not into the Lord Jesus Christ, into the occult and so forth. And I'll just give one of their songs because we have so much to cover. But I mean, what message am I sharing with everybody else? Hey, Pink Floyd's cool. Check them out, you know? And you start listening to Pink Floyd. Also, you hear a song called Animals. Right, and you're you're hearing lyrics that were inspired by uh, an occult book on witchcraft called the Book of Shadows, and in that song Animals uh, or that album Animals, I'm sorry, there's an animal uh, albums called Animals. You have a song called Sheep, and it's all about Jesus being a wicked butcher. He uh, it takes the 23rd Psalm and it twists it demonically, and it says, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. It starts out and then starts twisting the 23rd Psalm. He he you know he uh, you know, he, he basically turns me into lamb cutlets like he's going to butcher me. And it's just, and it's really wicked. And it's just the way it's portrayed is just really creepy. And it talks about how we will rise up and make the buggers eyes water, calling Jesus a bugger. And to promote something, we love Jesus, man. We don't want to get close to anything that's antichrist. And it just breaks your heart because uh, there's a lot of things in Pink Floyd's music that are occultic and so forth. And, and I'm hoping that he's just, it's hard to believe because he's done all this research that he's just absolutely incredibly naive. I mean, we did do a video called The Soldier Souls Rock and Roll, which we have a 10 hour version and a three hour version, and we show the occult history of music. And why this is, was so grievous for me was like, wow, Lord, 
So many people have warned, uh, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of Christian leaders have warned about the spirit of the Antichrist behind this music. And so many believers have been sanctified and gotten out of the music. And a lot of times when they get out of their music, wow, their lives change, man. They fall in love with Jesus. They start to get in, into music that glorifies God. They obey the scripture, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Their lives are transformed. But now they're being dragged back into or seduced back into, back to the mud. And it's scary. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful for Greg. And it's like, well, hey, did you guys talk to him? He's already been, he's already coming to how, uh, responded to how people have, you know, told him they disagree with what he's doing. They doesn't need to be writing songs about their history and everything. He's writing uh, books, you know, yeah. Write books like this and so forth. And he's disagreed with that. Well, uh, our hearts break because we're seeing that this is actually going to lead a lot of people astray. And Jesus warned. He said, whoa, you know, under the, you know, sin's going to come in the world, but woe to them by whom it comes. He says, if we cause one, just one little one to stumble, fall into sin. He's talking about falling into sin. It's better that a millstone, a large millstone, be hung around the neck, we'd be thrown in the depths of the sea. So as Christians, especially as Christian leaders, we have to be very, very careful. Romans 14 talks about that. If you feel you're okay in it, but you're not supposed to lead others who can have defiled consciences, but weak consciences led into a thing that they believe is evil or wrong by grease the skids for them. Yeah, and I would say this as somebody, like I said, I came to the Lord as an, I was an atheist, and I came to the Lord when I saw the history of rock and roll, and there was a there was a spirit behind it, and I believe that this is, without a doubt, from reading the book, this is in direct disobedience to Ephesians five, specifically verse eleven, because when we are not to have any fellowship with, and yet these are the things that he listens to, these are the collectibles he keeps, all of these bands that not only. These songs were wicked over and over again. Even in the book, Joe, he talks about some of the occult things in them. He talks about some of the background between George Harrison and some of the, he you know, Beatles, Pied Pipers that led a whole generation astray. Did he 100%. 100%. 100%. And it, you look at that, but yet when we read Ephesians 5.11 to see, to have no fellowship, have nothing in common with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, then we see him not exposing it. Not speaking of it in a negative way, but just leaving it out there. Here's the spiritual journey of them. And really, you should come to Jesus. It would have been awesome if they did too. How about the fact that this is spiritual wickedness in heavenly places? How about the fact that we're actually in a spiritual warfare? And I can say that as someone who came to the Lord through having the things that were my idols ripped down and tore down, not in line of, I just want to be a big meanie and I, you know, but looking at it as you have been duped, Chad. You have fallen for this. They have fallen for this. Mm -hmm. And I know I don't like to be duped by people. It doesn't feel good. And then when, when it's taken off of your eyes, when that veil is taken and removed and you're like, wait a second, I've actually been, because the Bible says he was not with me. That's Jesus who said it. He was not with me is against me. Mm -hmm. That's when I gave my life to Christ and got down on my knees. And these guys are not with him. And to talk about them, positively about how great they are as artists. Oh yeah, there were some bad things. We don't know where their spiritual journey is because we'll get to some of those quotes. To do that and not to warn, not, oh, I'm just a big fan. I love these songs. They bring back memories. Not to warn against it. I believe it's a travesty. It's devastating and it's dangerous. And that's where we are with this. That's what I have to say before we dig into some of, some of his arguments. Because Joe, he's going to say right here, he has a biblical model. And sadly, this model that he is using is so wrong, and it's been used by J.D. Greer to say you the should call— The way he's twisting the model. Yeah, the way he's twisting the model. 
Uh, it's been used by guys like J.D. Greer to say, you know, we should call transgender by their preferred pronouns. It's been used to by guys like Dr. Frank Turk to say we should definitely go and take these books. And Harry Potter's just like Jesus, and we can show people Jesus with Harry Potter in ra- rather than exposing it. And so let's hear Greg Laurie use a similar unbiblical model or a twisting of what the Bible said actually happened there on Mars Hill. You know, someone might ask, why have you written this book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus? I don't want to learn about these people. Wait a second. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 went up in a place called Mars Hill at the Areopagus. This is where all of the philosophers hung out to talk about the latest things. Paul took the time to assess the culture, to look around. And I have to say that Athens, Greece, where this all happened, was filled with idols. It was filled with monuments dedicated to false gods. But just in case they missed one, they had one monument to the unknown God. So how does Paul address these people? He says, men of Athens, I perceive that you're very religious. Today we might say, hey, it looks like you guys are into spirituality. Paul continues on, I noticed you had a monument to the unknown God. That's the one I want to talk to you about today. Then Paul quoted one of their own secular philosophers to build a bridge for the gospel. That's what I do in this book. So Joe, once again, we have someone saying, you know, I'm just taking, and by the way, it's really interesting. He's standing before a bunch of idols right behind him. He is standing, literal Idols what Paul's preaching of no, but I'm talking about Greg Laurie. Oh, Greg Laurie, too. <laughs> Greg Laurie. Paul's denouncing them though. Paul's denouncing them. Greg Laurie is sitting before the Beatles and saying, "You know what? Isn't this Artemis awesome? Weren't they a great guitarist? Isn't yeah. Diana awesome? Have you guys been to Ephesus? Paul's office, if they, you know, if they had statues behind him, well, I don't worship a man, but they're they're cool still because wow, that that one guy could really sing, you know, or what have you. It'd just mm-hmm. be pretty amazing." No, it's it's ridiculous and it's sad and it really does hurt my heart thinking about the people that will see that and see Paul exposing those false gods for who they are. And he does expose them for what they are. In fact, when he uses the word, it's usually translated religious, uh, sometimes like the King James superstitious. I see that you're very religious or superstitious. We talked about this when we dealt with Frank Turk, dealing this with Harry Potter and so forth. Uh, he uses the, the Greek word, which they would have heard in the Greek, literally means to fear or worship demons or daemons. And... Uh, which they understood to be spirit entities, but Paul understood to be demonic entities. And Paul goes on to repudiate these demonic entities. In that same message, he goes on to talk about that, you know, the one true God made the heavens and the earth. You need to repent and not worship these guys because they didn't make the heavens and the earth, these, these demon gods. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 21 22, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he. So I think it's imperative that we understand as believers that we are in a spiritual war. And the the, the uh, idols of that age were not just, they weren't simply, Chad, uh, made of hands. They were, of course, they were made of, they were, you know, anything from a tree stump to uh, different types of uh, metals and so forth and rock. And they made all these gods, but they also worshiped human beings. They worshiped the emperors, Nero, Domitian, and so forth. And that was considered idol worship. The Lord warns against that. They'll be worshiping the Antichrist in the end days. Well, these guys, John Lennon actually went to a Beatle Corpse meeting, with, according to Albert Goldman in his tome of a biography from the Beatles. And he actually asked the Beatles, Apple Records, by the way, with the bite out of the apple, you know, uh, he actually asked the rest of the Beatles, you know, he, he declared that he was God and wanted to be presented as God of the world. 
I think they were the rest of them were embarrassed and realized that's probably not going to go over well, and they just didn't follow through with that. But I think one thing we need to understand is that, and I, I'm not just going to speak the truth here, is uh, Greg Laurie in, in many ways has become somewhat ecumenical, but at the same time, uh, he teaches a form of easy believism uh, at this point. He hadn't always done that, but he teaches a form of easy believism to where, I mean, the worst type, I mean, where you can actually uh, reject Jesus as your Lord, say, no, I'm not going to be a disciple and a follower of Christ, but I'll just accept what you did on the cross for me and continue to live a wicked life. I won't be a follower of Christ. I'll just, I'll just accept what you did. And Jesus doesn't leave that option open. In fact, right here, and this is, this is really tragic. In fact, uh, in Greg Laurie's discipleship, giving God your best. This is from the back cover. It states, in a biblical, straightforward manner, Greg Laurie shares Jesus' definition of discipleship. Discipleship requires an unabashed, uncompromising commitment to Jesus Christ. Every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. Discover the dynamic difference. And then in the book itself, page 30 and 31, we read this. The requirements of discipleship are different than the requirements of salvation. To be a Christian, you need to believe in him whom God has sent. And then you will receive eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Of course, he doesn't mention repent and believe or anything like that. It is a gift. To be a disciple is to take up the cross daily and follow him, making his will your will. It is a commitment. Goes on to say a little further down, as you are learning, every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. So you have Christians that just believe in Jesus, but they don't want anything to do with following him. They're rejecting his call to take up their crosses, deny themselves daily, and follow him and say, no way, I'm not doing that, Jesus, but you're going to save me anyway because I'm, I'm, I'm believing you. So they can go on being drunkards. They can go on being adulterers, fornicators, homosexuals, thieves, murderers, and all that if you can just believe and not truly follow him. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, and 10, be not deceived. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither, and he goes on to like fornicators, and adulterers, and uh, effeminate, homosexuals, drunkards, revilers, thieves, and so forth. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we see that over and over again. He, and the Bible says, by the way, it doesn't say he that practices sin is only a believer but will still go to heaven but is not a disciple. It says he that practices sin is of the devil. Oh, we read that over and over again. The Bible tells us if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And when Jesus talks about you need to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me, he goes, in his talk, goes on to say, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life, you're going to save it. It has everything to do with eternal life as to whether or not you're truly having true faith in Christ because to truly have faith in Christ is to trust him, is to lean on him, is to follow him. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Not my sheep. They believe in me, but they don't follow me because they might decide to become disciples later, but they're still my sheep. It's just lies. And if you and I'm stating this, I thought about this, I, I think the reason he's so weak on sanctification and separation from wickedness is because he has this OSAS, once they'd always say, just believe and you're saved no matter what you do afterwards mentality. And that has far-reaching consequences, that doctrine. I believe it's led millions of people potentially to hell because they've said, oh, I could just do what thou wilt. And they're hearing that from the pulpits, and it's do what thou wilt in the church. And it breaks my heart that Greg is now on team, do what thou wilt to a degree. No, I, I think that this is a great time, Joe, to to show also, because reading those quotes, I mean, that's devastating when it comes to what a biblical disciple is. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Amen. his son. And so when we look at that, we see that. And you know what's interesting, Joe? We can show you right now. In fact, we're going to show you right now, this has not always been Greg Glory's view, and I just have to, I have to say, this is a, me surmising, but you kind of wonder, 
What changed? Because this video that we're about to show you right now, this video is about 12 years old. And this is him describing the difference between those who are believers and non-believers. And the question is, can one lose their salvation? So he's actually asking the question. You'll hear him ask specifically, were they ever saved in the first place? Can a Christian lose their salvation? Seems whenever I do a Q&A period with anyone, this question comes up. Can a Christian lose their salvation? And the way I like to respond to this question is with another question. Was the person saved to begin with? I think a lot of times we're wondering if a person has lost their salvation when quite frankly they may have never really been our genuine believer at all. If you're really a Christian, number one, you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is based on 1 John 4:15. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Number two, if you're really a Christian, you will obey the commands of Christ. Not perfectly, not flawlessly, but you will obey the commands of Christ. 1 John 5, 3, this is love for God to obey His commands and His commands are not burdensome. Anyone who is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now this is a problem for some people. They obey the commands of God they want to obey and the ones they don't like, they ignore. Someone said to me a while back or asked me this question, Greg, what do you do when you come to a verse in the Bible you don't agree with? That's a classic question. I said, you change your opinion because you're wrong. I mean, the Bible's not negotiable. So if you don't agree with it, you need to change. Number three, listen to this one. Are you unhappy or miserable when you're sinning? If you're really a child of God, you will be unhappy or miserable when you're sinning. 1 John 3, 9, everyone who has been born of God does not habitually sin because his seed remains in him and he is not able to habitually sin because he's been born of God. Listen, when you are a real believer, you will not be happy in your sin. You will be unhappy. And I would even take it a step further and say if you're comfortable in sin, maybe you're not a child of God. Number four, did you keep yourself from the devil? If you're a true believer, you'll keep yourself from the devil. 1 John 5, 18, we know whoever is born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. Now, John is not suggesting we need to keep ourselves saved. That's the work of God, kept by God unto salvation, the Bible says. But I do need to keep myself safe. See the difference? I'm not to keep myself saved, but I am to keep myself safe. And by that I mean I must avoid certain people, places, and activities that would make it easier for the devil to tempt me. And I must hang around people and be in places and do things that would build me up spiritually. Keep yourself from the devil. And five and lastly, do you love other Christians? If you're a real believer, you'll love God's people. 1 John 5, 1 says, everyone that believes that Christ is the Son of God loves his child as well. Wow, Joe, I have to say, there were a number of things that are completely contradictory to what you've read mm-hmm. already in that message. And, Which I read from his mouth, from his own book, right. And as I was listening to that, I listened to that after reading a lot of this book, 
And I thought, man, if he would have just applied that there, he would have been able to give a wonderful warning. Yeah, he said some things we totally agree with right there. Warnings are important for us in the body. I mean, that's what keeps us safe on the road. It's it is so important to have those warnings, and it's the job of a pastor to do so as well. And so when we see that, and I hear that, and Joe specifically, keeping yourself from the devil, that portion he was talking about. Yeah, he said you'll, you need to keep yourself away. If you're born again, there's a context. You know, you'll avoid people that'll tempt you and so forth. Yet through this book, he's delivering people into the belly of the beast, you know, because he's glorifying these guys. And... Uh, talking about how they're heaven bound for the many of the guys, he's, a lot of the main guys he's bringing up, and uh, it breaks my heart because uh, Calvary Chapel, when it first started, it had a lot of very strong, not only evangelistic preaching, but a lot of emphasis early on about being separate from the world. You know, I remember when we, uh, Doug and I and my wife, and wrote a bunch of songs and an album came, that came out called "Leave Me to the Rock," and uh, that album came out, and Calvary Chapel K Wave here in California. Gave it several some of the songs a lot of airplay, except Chuck Smith would not play half the songs because it had a saxophone in it. We were told because Doug, who you know was the main guy behind that album, uh, let me know because he knew one of the guys that's in the studio there and said, "Yeah, we can't play the stuff with sax on it." I'm like, "Well, that's if that's what Joe Chuck runs uh, Calvary Chapels and he that's his station ultimately and that's his conviction." Fine, but I said, why? The sax could be a beautiful instrument. It certainly is in our praise and worship music. Very expressive, very beautiful. And they said, because it's, Chuck said it's shaped like a phallus. And I was like, really? Okay, well, if that's his conviction, I don't think that's what the design was, unless I'm missing something, you know? But uh, anyway, so I thought it was interesting, but there was sometimes an emphasis to stay away from the evil music of the world. But now it's being glorified. And a lot of the Calvary chapels, not all the Calvary chapels, but a lot of the Calvary chapels, it, it's this easy believism that's now being taught that I quoted with Greg earlier that you can you can be a believer and just not follow the Lord and, and everything's good. And you fill churches with people that aren't born again and what's going to happen? And you want to keep those people, so what do you do? You talk more about just we're saved by grace and you don't emphasize sanctification at all. And a sister came to visit the fellowship Sunday from out of state. Uh, she was here and uh, and she visited us with a couple of her, her kids and I'd met her before, and it was great seeing her. And, and uh, you talk to people after fellowship. We encourage people and love on the Lord together. And and she was talking about how she's been loves the live stream because she said it's so hard because we're going to Calvary Chapel, and it's just no conviction. There's we never it, it's and people are running amok. And that was you know I'm not giving the name of that particular church. No need to. But she shared that with me, and I said it's kind of interesting. I go I've seen that. And in fact, my wife and I before we started Blessed Hope. I said that uh, we were in a church in Thousand Oaks, Calvary Chapel. And like I said, there's some good Calvary chapels out there, but you've got to be really careful. Uh, and we used to be able to tell people, you know, we don't agree with the pre-trib. We don't agree with OSAS, once saved, always saved. Not all of them were like that. In fact, not all of them are like that today. Raul Reese certainly wasn't. You know, he actually preached a strong message. Uh, but we, we, would, we could, years ago, it was safer to say, you know, they go through the scripture, but beware of some of the doctrines that are off. You can't find a good church get plugged in somewhere and maybe the Calvary Chapel will work. But can't say that today because a lot of them have gone so off the rails. And it's just heartbreaking to me because I told her I was in a fellowship with my wife and we were driving to a totally different town outside of Simi Valley. And my wife, we were there for about a year. And my wife was having a hard time, you know, with, with the messages because she's, I'm never convicted. I'm never challenged to be sanctified, to grow in my salvation and, and, and watch out for sin. And, 
And <laughs> we were there almost a year at that point. And I thought, you know what? You know what? That The conviction is definitely lacking here. And then we got there Sunday after that or so. And I said, hey, baby, look, he's in Luke 17. I pointed to a scripture, you know, uh, when he warned, out, warned about Lot's wife. Remember, Lot's wife, three words. I go, praise the Lord. He's going to deal with this. Praise God. He's, you need to be convicted. Maybe he's going to get you here, you know, just kind of playing with her. We go, praise the Lord. He'll, he'll, you know, there's some convicting stuff in here and hopefully he'll preach on it. We got to the verse, remember Lot's wife. And I'm like, okay, praise God. Lord, help him, whatever, you know. And then boom, it was all, not a, not a word about Lot's wife. It was, praise God. Lot was a carnal Christian. You know, he was a sinful man. He was a carnal Christian. And and God raptured him out of there anyway. And that's a picture of the pre-trib rapture because the angels took him out uh, of, of Sodom. And it was then destroyed. So even if you're a carnal Christian, don't worry. You're still okay with God and you'll still be raptured. On that very day, rapture says, by the way. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's wrong in, in, yeah, both ways. in both ways. First yeah. of all, it says over and over again, first of all, why did God take Lot out? We could find even one righteous man, or so many righteous men he would spirit. He didn't find a lot of righteous people, but Lot he took out, and we're told in First Peter chapter 2 over and over and over again uh, that righteous Lot was vexed, King James, were grieved by all the sin around him. That he was a righteous man, we're told. So he was, I'm like, oh, Lord God, what is he doing? And then when the angels take him out, it's not seven years before the judgment. When he takes him out, the wrath of God falls, a picture of the second coming. They were just obliterated like at the second coming. It's a picture of a post-trip coming on the same day, as you mentioned, Chad, that he was taken out. And I told her, I go, man, I went through the same thing, and I know it's really, really tough. Well, that's years ago that I went through that. And Greg, at that time, back in those days, I remember going down the road, and I'd turn on Christian radio. Sometimes I'd hear Greg Laurie. I heard him on First John before, saying, if you're born again, you won't practice sin and so forth. And then before you know it, I'm like, man, I can't even send people over to the Harvest Crusades anymore because Greg is now teaching that you can just be a believer and be saved. You really don't have to truly turn from your rebellion against God and become a disciple. And I think that is a lot of what's going on here is he's let his guard down. And just like what's happened in the Old Testament and the New is that now you have leaders leading people to the idols of this age. No, I think that's a really good point. And you know what? I, I think it's important. And we wanted to lay kind of the groundwork on what we see theologically, how you can get to a place where you start writing books like this, where you no longer are calling out their sin, except for maybe here, you know, there was some occultism here and stuff, and it's just mentioned as a byword, not recognizing how wicked a lot of these guys were. Man, we got to stay away from these artists because they'll pull you into this occult world. Yeah, and so we wanted to look at that before we get into now the nitty-gritty of some of the things he did say about these bands. Start looking at what he's saying and what the artists have said, who they really were. Yeah, I think that's the important thing, is let's always make sure that when we're doing this, it's good to know what the artist has said, either in song or interview or anything like that. So let's look into it, because in the book, on page 20, Greg Laurie writes, And yet, the Beatles were not anti-God. In fact, they were all raised with some form of Christian upbringing. They were Church of England choir boys. They had been peach-cheeked lads in choir stalls, singing classic Anglican hymns like All Praise to Thee, My God, This Night, and For All the Saints. And Joe, before I hand that back over, especially considering what the entire Beatle philosophy was, if you guys didn't know this, Aleister Crowley, the father of Satanism, was raised in the Plymouth Brethren. That's right. He was raised in the Christian faith, and that doesn't then, therefore, mean that he wasn't anti-God. His dad was an evangelist. Exactly. And so when we look at that, 
And we see that statement, those two things do not align. Your upbringing does not mean you aren't anti-God, and that also doesn't give you a license to listen and and really revere the songs of fools. And by the way, Aleister Crowley says in his hagiography, as he calls it, hagios for holy, which is just ridiculous, uh, he states that uh, being a Plymouth brethren, he was brought up to believe once saved, always saved. And it didn't matter what he did, he couldn't lose his salvation. And he became the most licentious person on earth, Mr. Do What Thou Wilt, right? What's interesting, uh, not only does he has, as you mentioned, Chad, the Beatles and the, you know, when he, in his office, you know? Can you imagine you come to my office and I got Zeppelin back there? And it's like, wait a minute, man, isn't Paige, didn't he buy a list of Crowley's mansion over Locking Ness, overlooking Loch Ness? And, and, and didn't he say, big names aren't made, made today through Ready, Steady, Go, but through, a, uh, you know, practice the magic of Lester Crowley? And you start saying that, I, I, what would I say? Oh, but no, they got some good tunes. And, and, you know, really deep down, I mean, they knew God before. Would I say that? That would be, I can't even come to my mind to get even close to that, you know, because that was the band I was into. Okay, but to glorify them and say, hey, they were somehow good because maybe they grew up with, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. But, well, well, the Beatles weren't like that, though. Oh, yeah, they were. Okay, John Lennon, in being interviewed by Ray Coleman, uh, a famous statement he made by Melody Maker years ago. Obviously, he's been dead for years, but uh, he said to him in an interview, I've sold my soul to the devil, according to John Green. Now, John Green was uh, Yoko Ono. Yoko Ono, by the way, why did John Lennon marry Yoko Ono? She was totally into mysticism like he was. She was called herself a witch. You can type in Yoko Ono witch and Google it, and you'll see her with her witch's hat and John Lennon all funky and stuff, and she called herself a witch. Well, they uh, lived in the Dakota days in the last years before he was killed by Chapman, by Mark Chapman, uh, who was praying to Satan. And I think his time was up, and we'll see what happened there in a minute, maybe, perhaps. But uh, he was living in the—he was totally paranoid. He— Anything that went off in his room because he kept hearing voices. I believe he was just totally being given over to Satan for destruction. You know, he's hearing voices over and over again in his bedroom. Uh, but he brought John Len- uh, brought John Green in, their tarot card reader, to lead them in New Age mysticism and trying to handle the spirits and the future and everything else. And he was their tarot card reader. Well, Yoko Ono and John Green, at Yoko Ono's request, because she wanted to make a pact with the devil, and he had already claimed to sell his soul to the devil. They went to Colombia, in South America. And when they got to Columbia, they looked for a bruja, a witch, and John Green and her got together with the witch. And uh, John Green doesn't give us a real name, but calls her Nora and said that uh, this was not, that Nora was not just, you know, she was not a white witch. She was, in, although we know there's no real difference, there's still the same powers, but she was a practitioner of black magic. And uh, they were, Yoko had to seal the deal with Lucifer. And she ended up paying $60,000, sacrificing the animal. In fact, I read what happens here in John uh, Green, who lived with them in the last days before John was uh, put uh, killed. The old witch slipped her powerful fingers into a pocket and removed a folded piece of paper, the contract, the, the pack with the devil. This she opened with deliberate care and placed on the altar as if for the dove to read, because that was a sacrificial animal. You're going to sacrifice a, an innocent dove. Nora rolled her eyes back in her head, right, uh, possessed, and prayed her prayers of sacrifice. Suddenly, deftly, the hand with a stick did its work. The dove had no warning and made no outcry as the instrument pierced the back of its neck and erased the brain. Slowly, Nora removed the point uh, and held the victim outward. Sign, child, sign now uh, for Yoko Ono uh, to sign. And Yoko actually tried to cheat the devil because she had John Green sign in her place, you know. 
these guys know what's going on. And we talk about some of this stuff. I mean, we've got some of this in our video. They sold their souls for rock and roll. Exposed a lot of this, a lot of mind-blowing stuff. And, and that's why our hearts, my prayer, I pray and I'll continue to use the Lord. Lord, please open Greg Laurie's eyes to repudiate what he's done here. Yes, you can show darkness, but you need to repudiate the darkness as such, not grease the skids where people feel comfortable in darkness. And you need to shine the light on people. We've seen thousands of thousands and thousands of people come to Christ through they sold their souls for rock and roll because we do exactly what Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, rather expose them. And he talks about you know, waking up, sleep, or let the light of Christ shine on you. And we, we turn the lights on. We turn the Jesus light on, man, and show who Jesus is, and we preach the truth. But it's interesting because... Uh, you know, you have this 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 sacrifice uh, taking place, but it's also important to understand, and these are some points you need to understand about the Beatles. Gene, John Lennon, a lot of people say, uh, you know, John Lennon talked about, and the, the Beatles boasted that we're more popular than Jesus now. And yeah, that was a horrible thing to say because, I mean, now a lot of people, you, you, you say, hey, do you know who, uh, you know, George Harrison was? I mean, most young people don't know who he was now today. You say, you know who Jesus was? They know, okay, most people uh, but you know what? They didn't just say we're more popular than Jesus now. Because uh, some, I heard one pastor say, well, they were more popular than Jesus at that time. Well, maybe in this country and a few other European countries. But guess what? He didn't just say we're more popular than Jesus now. John Lennon said Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I need to argue about that. I'm right, and we will prove right. He had an antagonism toward Christianity. In fact, Derek Taylor, their press officer, said this. I mean, I am antichrist as well. But there, speaking of the Beatles, are so antichrist, they shock me, which isn't an easy thing to do. So privately, when they weren't singing, I want to hold your hand, you know, they would publicly say Christianity is going to vanish. But privately, there was an antagonism against Jesus. They, they, they believe in God? Uh, they, didn't, they didn't love Jesus, that's for sure. Uh, in fact, uh, John Lennon, yeah, he opened himself with demonic forces. He was writing songs. He was a channel. He, over and over again, he talks about feeling like he was possessed and how he channeled lyrics and he talked about it. he was like he said I was like a hollow temple one spirit would enter my body and then it would leave and then another spirit would enter my body in fact that's why uh, Albert Goldman wrote the book of John Lennon huge book on John Lennon called The Lives of John Lennon because he was so many personalities there was all these different uh, spirits using him although of course Goldman likes to look at them as archetypes because he doesn't have a biblical worldview but we know we wrestle against flesh and blood but spiritual wickedness in high places. John Lennon said, when the real music comes to me, it has nothing to do with me because I'm just a channel. It's given to me and I transcribe it like a channel. But my joy is when you're like possessed, like a medium, you know, I'll be sitting around and it will come in the middle of the night or at a time when you don't want to, to do it. He says, that's the exciting part. I don't know how the blank, I wrote it. I'm just sitting here and the whole blank and song comes out. So it's, you're, you're like driven and you find yourself over the piano or a guitar because it's been given to you or whatever it is that you tune into. Now, it's interesting when you think about this, we're not as Christians supposed to seek mediums. We're forbidden to seek occult practices, to seek where the occult is condemned in the Old and New Testament. We're forbidden to seek mediums that is those who channel entities. When you have a man who he and his wife both acknowledge contact, contacting Lucifer, Satan, for powers, okay, and they become becomes the leader of the biggest band in the world, and he admits being like possessed, saying it's like possession, and he's a channel writing these lyrics. Uh, I'm sorry, but Greg Laurie shouldn't say, "Wow, they were sure talented," which is what he does through these books. But we'll get into Hendrix and others where he's like, "Wow, what an incredible talent!" Yeah, well, let's look at what did Hendrix say. Where is he getting his music? 
And Greg Laurie needs to step back and say, and use, as you mentioned earlier, Chad, what's the biblical worldview? What does the scripture say about music? The most repeated command in all of scripture, and that's for you and me, is to sing unto the Lord. Do you know that? By far, it blows out all the other commands, uh, not as far as the most important commandment, but it's the most repeated one. It means a lot to the Lord. The biggest book in the Bible is a songbook, the book of Psalms, amen? Christostom, one of the early church fathers, said that God gave us the book of Psalms to keep us from the music of demons. Now we have more evidence than ever that those that's such a reality. So let's actually take a look specifically at what happens when you look at the history of the Beatles and don't simply whitewash it and say it wasn't that bad, they weren't too anti-God, but here's the real truth behind a lot of what they were thinking, doing, practicing, and you were listening to, Greg, and still listen to. It was through the influence of the Beatles that millions of youth around the world were almost overnight turned away from Christ to the gurus of the East. Gurus like the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi were given a platform to pass out mantras like candy to the youth. Hippie youth began repeating these mantras believing that they were in some way scientific when in fact they were calling out on the names of Hindu gods and demons. Yoga is actually a word that means to yoke and speaks of yoking with pagan gods. God's word warns that these false gods are actually demonic beings and Jesus Christ warned against the repetitious praying of the pagans. Well, before the Beatles came around, I don't think Indian spirituality and things like that were an everyday part of Western culture. It was entirely the hippies, you know, thanks to the Beatles, who decided to, you know, go to India and, you know, discover yoga and meditation. Now we all have yoga on every corner. You know, there was never anything like that before they came along. They really wanted a spiritual revolution, a, a transformation. It was time for a, a generation to assert themselves. And this is the revolution that the Beatles caused. This revolution was challenged after John Lennon claimed to be more popular than Jesus Christ. This was a wake-up call to many young people around the world as they took to the streets and publicly destroyed the Beatle albums. Don't you forget what the Beatles have said. And don't forget to take your Beatle records and your Beatle paraphernalia to any one of our 14 pickup points. Sadly, this wake-up call did not last very long as society at large fell back asleep and the Beatles would launch their next assault with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Crowley taught that his satanic doctrine should be cloaked under the lie of love and he believed the youth would fall for it. If Timothy Leary was Crowley's drug guru of the 1960s, Leary dubbed John Lennon and the Beatles as the four evangelists. The Beatles wrote this song, Come Together, as a campaign song for Leary's hopeful presidential bid that, thank God, never got off the ground. Crowley taught that he was to be the leader of a youth army and ended up finding himself on the front cover of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album. The song states that it was 20 years ago today that Sgt. Pepper taught the band to play. The album came out in 1967. Crowley had died 20 years earlier in 1947, the year Leary claimed he passed on the baton to him to bring in the satanic revolution. This made Sgt. Pepper a likely reference to a Lester Crowley, the father of the new eon. John Lennon summed up the entire Beatle philosophy before his death by quoting Satanist Lester Crowley. Lennon stated, The whole Beatle idea was to do what you want, right? Do what thou wilt. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album is covered with a collage of people known as the Magic Crowd. 
These are the faces of different people that the Beatles considered part of the mystical club. The Beatles described them as their heroes and people they looked up to. In this crowd you find pictures of one-worlders like Karl Marx and mystics like Edgar Allan Poe and Carl Jung and Aldous Huxley who Crowley reportedly turned on to mescaline. The Beatles also placed a picture of occultist William Burroughs who claimed to have become demon-possessed after killing his wife on the Sgt. Pepper's album. Also making the cast was the most popular starlet of the 1960s, Jane Mansfield. Mansfield was a high priestess in Anton LaVey's Church of Satan. Mansfield admitted to using her Satanism to both seduce and gain worldwide fame. The Beatles also placed a slew of Eastern gurus on the album as they continued their assault on Christianity. Incredibly, one of the people who was to be pictured on the album as part of the Beatles club was none other than Adolf Hitler. Hitler was yanked presumably because he was considered too controversial to appear on the album. Hitler's picture can be seen on the sidelines just prior to the shooting of the album cover. It has been well documented that Nazism was rooted in the occultic teachings of Madame Blavatsky and others. Now Lester Crowley claimed that Hitler was his disciple and was seeking to implement the teachings of the Book of the Law through his policies of the triumph of the will. And of course, as we have noted on the top left, we find the picture of none other than Aleister Crowley. It is believed that Crowley is the one that the Beatles are referring to when in the song Sgt. Pepper's they state it was 20 years ago today that Sgt. Pepper taught the band to play. It was 20 years before the release of this album almost to the day when Crowley died and many of his followers believe marked the beginning of the new age. Crowley declared that he would lead an army of youth in the revolution to implement the new age and apparently the Beatles dubbed him Sgt. Pepper. John Lennon stated, there were very few things that happened to the Beatles that weren't really well thought out. Lennon said that he realized that he was part of a club of mystics who had been initiated into the same spiritual club. God's word in the book of Revelation describes Satan's church as the whore of Babylon. She is depicted as a sorceress and Revelation chapter 17 verse 4 states, quote, The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. A depiction of the satanic church or the scarlet woman, as both Crowley and Anger refer to her, is found on the Sgt. Pepper's album. Crowley taught that the beast and the scarlet woman would gather their children into their fold and bring the glories of the stars into the hearts of men. Notice on the Sgt. Pepper's album, we see a sorceress adorned in scarlet and with precious stones and gold and pearls. Notice also that she is holding up a golden cup in her hand as the book of Revelation states. Notice in her other hand, she's holding an upside down pentagram. The London Times said that Sgt. Pepper's was, quote, a decisive moment in the history of Western civilization. It was a decisive moment at this time in history as Satan made major inroads in preparing the world for the coming of the Antichrist. Wow, Joe, when I look at that and when I see the evidence there, I have to say it brings me back to when I gave my life to Christ after seeing a lot of this and, and recognizing there was a spiritual war going on. And I know in, in Greg's book, like I said, he'll talk about it and, and, and faintly caveat many of these occult and, and Hinduism and call them Pied Pipers and all that stuff, but then whitewash it over and over again. And, and I just see when I'm reading that, that stuff or hearing that when I'm watching that, I'm seeing anti-God all over the place there. Yeah, it's always as though he wants to like separate their singing and their music from what was going on. When we start to realize, you know, that John Lennon talked about, you know, and, and Yoko and so forth, signing a pact with the devil, you know, and that he's just this channel, it all comes out of him. You can't separate the music from the message and from the spiritual realm. It's almost like saying, man, you know, I know those prophets that were worshiping Baal, you know, uh, and they're cutting themselves 
you know, I know, I know what they're doing was evil and we want to stay away from Baal, but man, they sure could scream. They sure could sing, man. And I wish we had soundtracks of their music, man, because, you know, yeah, we don't want to pay attention. We don't want to follow what they were following, but it was really cool. No, man, why don't we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as the scriptures command us to, and why don't we make sure we're separate from the evils of the world, you know? And it's interesting because in that clip, if it went on even further, we expose uh, very clearly that those two albums, that came out, Sgt. Pepper's, with their Satanic Majesty's request. And Kenneth Anger worked with the Beatles and the Stones to put those out in the same year. Kenneth Anger was a co-founder of the Church of Satan. He uh, did a uh, movie called Lucifer Rising where uh, Lester Crowley is promoted. He was a Crowleyan Satanist and a pedophile too, by the way. Anyways, you have Crowleyism being pushed and the Beatles and Stones got together According to a book called Up and Down with the Rolling Stones, written by a man who lived with the Rolling Stones and was a drug, drug runner uh, for years during that time, he said the Beatles talked long in the night about drugs and, and, and music and how they're going to change the world. Yeah, they did. And they put those two albums out together. It's their satanic, Matches request, and, and we, we show the Beatles and the Stones. There's the Beatles are on the Stones album, the Stones are on the Beatles album, a couple of them, and it's all psychedelic, and it's all, it's all a big deception. And I don't expect Greg Laurie to know all that because I don't know if anybody's given our, us our, his, him our video. He's very popular in the but, Calvary Chapel movement. Uh, yeah, because I think uh, Chuck allowed for hundreds of our videos to be passed out to Calvary Chapel pastors at a pastor's conference, and many of them got, the, uh, got it, but some pastors were upset because it's talking about the music we grew up with. Well, how about being concerned about the, all the people that have been deceived by them and led away from Christ to hell? And what about, oh, well, they've got some nice songs like Imagine. Really? Imagine, I mean, imagine, what's the message? It's an, the Antichrist message, man. It's it's all about how imagine there's no heaven above us, you know? It's easy if you, you know? try. Below us, yeah, it's easy if you try. Below us, below us, no hell. I mean, get rid of God, get rid of judgment, you know? Uh, and all the world, you know, no more countries, you know? Globalism. It calls Jesus orderism. a liar. That's my biggest yeah. problem. And, and let's he, come together and be one. You know, all I, the world will live as one. That's the book of Revelation, guys, and times. And John Lennon said, he goes, and I think this is important to understand, he said, yeah, nobody accepted that political message at first, but then I dipped the song in honey. Music. And that's the thing is, would we be reading John Lennon's stuff if it wasn't the music wasn't there? No. Would, would Greg Laurie be all into John Lennon's writings and, and, and what he wrote about if they were just poems? Absolutely not. It shows you how powerful and seductive the music is. Even guys like Greg Laurie get sucked into it and promote it. No, and, and, and when I think of Imagine and, and when I think of them literally saying that Jesus is a liar. That's what the song sings. Because if yeah. you imagine there's no heaven, then all of Jesus' teaching, That's where right. he told us over and over again, where are we supposed to lay up our treasures? So we're supposed to lay up our treasures in a heaven that doesn't exist? Jesus rose from the dead. I trust him when he tells me there's a heaven. And when you talked about dipping in honey, I truly believe that's exactly what is happening here. I yeah. mean, really. And yeah. I, and I want to say this because, well, what did, what did Greg write about his spiritual welfare? On page 82, he actually has a small sentence that just says he was born again that describes this experience that he was going through when he was watching Billy How Graham. How does John Lennon was really born again? That's what he says. And if he was really born again, according to what he said in the beginning of the clip that you played on him, he would have had a radically transformed life because Greg said your life would be transformed, you know, and you wouldn't be practicing evil anymore. That's not what happened to John Lennon. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that it's very convoluted when you think of all of these messages put together because... Even as I go through this, this is on page 82 of his book where he says he was born again. He talks about him watching a Billy Graham uh, sermon online. Then after that, even calling in to the 700 Club to talk to Pat Robertson. But 
one of the guys that Greg Laurie actually interviewed said that that born again experience lasted all of two weeks. And he said, well, maybe it lasted longer. And he goes on to an explanation of visiting Japan and so forth and, and visiting a church there and being a nice, humble guy that he got a report from. Right after that experience, he had nothing to do with Jesus, by the way. And then it's really interesting, Joe, because he actually says that he matured. And he said one of the last ever interviews that he gave before his passing, he said he was no more a Buddhist than he was a Christian. And quote, I'm a most religious fellow. I was brought up a Christian and only now understand some of the things that Christ was saying in those parables because people got hooked on the teacher and missed the message. If you just simply took those parables, or I could simply quote from Greg Laurie's teaching that we played earlier, that you can't just choose those things you want to obey. So interesting that he's yeah, writing these things. And, and choose those things. But to quote him here, the fact is, is that you need to believe in the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, the person. The person of Jesus Christ is how you come to salvation. Salvation is not simply taught in a philosophy. Salvation is not simply taught in an idea. Salvation is taught and completely proclaimed through the person of Jesus Christ. So if you miss some sort of message that you wanted to take from that parable and missed out on Jesus, you've missed out on everything. And so to even quote that and to see that, it's really, really heartbreaking to me. And this seems to be dipping John Lennon in honey so you don't feel so guilty about listening to your Beatles albums. And it breaks my heart because when I think of sanctification, and I remember this this took place when I was a younger believer. I remember I, I went to go meet someone. Someone was so excited for me to meet because this is an old friend and they had gone through some struggles, but now they're walking strong with the Lord and I'm really, my, my, my wife at the time was really excited for me to meet them. And she, I was a new, um, I was the new boyfriend at the time. And she was like, oh, you got to meet him. And I remember during a discussion, we talked about music and I said, yeah, you know, I have a real tough time with a lot of the Christian artists that specifically when you listen to their songs, I can't tell if they're talking about their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their wife, their friend. I can, I can't tell if they're talking about Jesus. And she goes, you know, I remember when I used to be that way. But now I realize I can listen to secular music and see God in it. And I knew from that day, I never wanted to get a get to a place in sanctification where I become less and less like Jesus Amen. and more and more like the world. And what I'm seeing here is, is, is dipped in honey, this message, and then the end caveat, well, was he saved? I don't know. You called him born again in that sentence. He was born again. Yeah, this situation once saved, always saved. Do you believe he's in heaven right now? If you're really consistent with what you believe 100%. That's my point exactly, that we see the contradictions in his own teaching over the years, and then we see it coming out, and the fruit of it is, I'm a huge fan of these bands, so let me dip this in honey so you don't feel so bad. And your sanctification process, at best, can be hindered. Because, guys, when we get to Psalm chapter 1, and when you read Psalm chapter 1, this is something I put on my cell phone as a young believer so that on the front cover, so that when I would open it, I'd make sure, better go read your Bible before you're looking at text messages. And reading Psalm 1, meditating on the Word of God day and night is somebody who is going to be like the tree planted against the water that bears fruit in its season. Amen. But what about the other guy? That guy that doesn't meditate on God's Word day and night. And what are you doing when you're listening to songs and memorizing them? You're meditating on them. You're meditating on people who are meditating to demons, by the way. And are you not sitting in the seat of scoffers? You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. 
If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.